European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 38. Focus Issue, Ischemic Heart Disease and Acute Cardiovascular Care, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Acute Coronary Syndromes, New Guidelines and New Lights Shed on Biomarkers and Mechanisms of Plaque Instability. This focus issue on ischemic heart disease and acute cardiovascular care contains the 2023 ESC guidelines for the management of acute coronary syndromes, developed by the Task Force on the Management of Acute Coronary Syndromes of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, by authors from the ESC Scientific Document Group. These guidelines are extremely innovative as for the first time they provide recommendations for the entire spectrum of acute coronary syndromes, or ACS, including unstable angina, ST elevation myocardial infarction, or MI, and non-ST elevation MI. They also provide new recommendations for antiplatelet and anticoagulant therapy, alternative antithrombotic therapy regimens, in-hospital and out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, technical aspects of invasive strategies, multivessel disease in patients presenting in cardiogenic shock, multivessel disease in hemodynamically stable patients undergoing primary percutaneous coronary intervention, comorbid conditions, long-term management, and patient perspectives. The issue continues with the special article Perivascular adipose tissue as a source of therapeutic targets and clinical biomarkers. A clinical consensus statement from the European Society of Cardiology Working Group on Coronary Pathophysiology and Microcirculation by Charalambos Antoniades and colleagues from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. The authors point out that obesity is a modifiable cardiovascular risk factor, but adipose tissue, or AT depots in humans are anatomically, histologically, and functionally heterogeneous. For example, visceral AT is a pro-atherogenic secretory AT depot, while subcutaneous AT represents a more classical energy storage depot. Perivascular adipose tissue, or PVAT, regulates vascular biology via paracrine crosstalk signals. In this position paper, the state-of-the-art knowledge of various AT depots is reviewed, providing a consensus definition of PVAT around the coronary arteries, as the AT surrounding the artery up to a distance from its outer wall equal to the luminal diameter of the artery. Special focus is given to the interactions between PVAT and the vascular wall that render PVAT a potential therapeutic target in cardiovascular diseases. This consensus statement also discusses the role of PVAT as a clinically relevant source of diagnostic and prognostic biomarkers of vascular function, which may guide precision medicine in atherosclerosis, hypertension, heart failure, and other cardiovascular diseases. In this article, its role as a biosensor of vascular inflammation is highlighted with description of recent imaging technologies that visualize PVAT in clinical practice allowing non-invasive quantification of coronary inflammation 
and the related residual cardiovascular inflammation risk, guiding deployment of therapeutic interventions. Finally, the current and future clinical applicability of artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies is reviewed that integrate PVAT information into prognostic models to provide clinically meaningful information in primary and secondary prevention. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Intravascular Imaging During Percutaneous Coronary Intervention Temporal Trends and Clinical Outcomes in the USA Reza Fozel and colleagues from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts, USA point out that prior trials have demonstrated that intravascular imaging or IVI-guided percutaneous coronary intervention or PCI results in less frequent target lesion revascularization and major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACEs, compared with standard angiographic guidance. The uptake and associated outcomes of IVI-guided PCI in contemporary clinical practice in the USA remain unclear. In this retrospective cohort study of Medicare, Beneficiary data from the 1st of January 2013 through to the 31st of December 2019 were assessed to evaluate temporal trends and comparative outcomes of IVI-guided PCI as compared with PCI with angiographic guidance alone in both the inpatient and outpatient settings. The primary outcomes were one-year mortality and MACE, defined as the composite of death, MI, repeat PCI, or coronary artery bypass graft surgery. Secondary outcomes were MI or repeat PCI at one year. Multivariable Cox regression was used to estimate the adjusted association between IVI guidance and outcomes. Falsification endpoints, hospitalized pneumonia and hip fracture, were used to assess for potential unmeasured confounding. The study population included about 1,190,000 patients undergoing PCI, 38% female, 89.8% white, 65.1% with MI. Overall, IVI was used in 10.5% of the PCIs, increasing from 9.5% in 2013 to 15.4% in 2019. IVI use during PCI was associated with significantly lower adjusted hazard rates, or AHR, of one-year mortality, AHR 0.96, MI, AHR 0.97, repeat PCI, AHR 0.74, and MACE, AHR 0.85. There was no association with the falsification endpoint of hospitalized pneumonia, AHR 1.02, or hip fracture, AHR 1.02. The authors conclude that among Medicare beneficiaries undergoing PCI, use of IVI has increased over the previous decade but remains relatively infrequent. IVI-guided PCI is associated with lower risk-adjusted mortality, acute MI, repeat PCI and MACE. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Zayad Ali and Dusab Shin from the St. Francis Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, USA. The authors conclude that the burden of evidence in favour of IVI-guided PCI is reaching critical mass, especially with multiple major randomised control trials planned for presentation this year. 
In this regard, the study by Fazal et al., highlighting the impact of IVI in the real world, makes the glass at least half full. Cardiogenic shock, or CS, remains a challenging clinical condition. Dipeptidyl peptidase 3, or DPP3, is a protease involved in the degradation of angiotensin 2, which disturbs peripheral blood pressure regulation and compromises left ventricular function. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Dipeptidyl peptidase 3 plasma levels predict cardiogenic shock and mortality in acute coronary syndromes. Florian Wenzel and colleagues from the University of Zurich in Switzerland examined the relationship of circulating DPP3 or CDPP3 with cardiogenic shock and mortality in patients presenting with ACS. Plasma CDPP3 levels were assessed at baseline and at 12 to 24 hours after presentation in patients with ACS, prospectively enrolled into the multicenter SPUM ACS study, n equaling 4,787. Circulating DPP3 levels were associated with in-hospital cardiogenic shock when accounting for established risk factors, including the ORBI risk score, HERLOG2 increase HR1.38, P equaling 0.021. High CDPP3 was an independent predictor of mortality at 30 days, HR 1.87, P being less than 0.001, and at one year, HR 1.61, P being less than 0.001, after adjustment for established risk factors and GRACE 2.0 score. Compared to values within the normal range, persistently elevated CDPP3 levels at 12 to 24 hour were associated with increased 30-day mortality risk, HR 13.42, P being less than 0.001, and increased one-year mortality risk, HR 5.79, P being less than 0.001. Results were consistent across various patient subgroups. The authors conclude that this study identifies CDPP3 as a novel marker of cardiogenic shock and increased mortality in patients with ACS. Circulating DPP3 offers prognostic information beyond established risk factors and improves early risk assessment. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Janine Puss, Olga Thiele and Pietra Butner from the Heart Center Leipzig at University of Leipzig and Leipzig Heart Institute in Germany. The authors highlight that it will be crucial to investigate whether inhibition of CDPP3 improves hemodynamics and outcomes in patients with cardiogenic shock. In an acute heart failure mouse model and sepsis-induced rat model, treatment with the specific CDPP3 antibody prosizumab in an early phase improved hemodynamic and cardiac function with a reduction in oxidative stress and or inflammation. A first in-human study with this agent is planned. The results will shed more light on this highly exciting topic. The present acute MI or AMI rule-out strategies are challenged by the late temporal release of cardiac troponin. Copeptin is a non-specific biomarker of endogenous stress and rises early in AMI, covering the early period where troponin is still normal. In a clinical research article entitled 
accelerated rollout of acute myocardial infarction using pre-hospital copeptin and in-hospital troponin. The Aromi study. Klaus Geyer Pedersen and colleagues from the Aarhus University Hospital in Denmark indicate that an accelerated dual marker rollout strategy combining pre-hospital copeptin and in-hospital high-sensitivity troponin T could reduce length of hospital stay and thus the burden on the healthcare systems worldwide. The Aromi trial aimed to evaluate whether the accelerated dual marker rollout strategy could safely reduce the length of stay in patients discharged after early rollout of AMI. Patients with suspected AMI transported to hospital by ambulance were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either accelerated rollout using copeptin measured in a pre-hospital blood sample and high-sensitivity troponin T measured at arrival to hospital or to standard rollout using a zero to three hour rollout strategy. The Aromi study included 4,351 patients with suspected AMI. The accelerated dual marker rollout strategy reduced mean length of stay by 0.9 hours in patients discharged after rollout of AMI and was non-inferior regarding 30-day major adverse cardiovascular events when compared to standard rollout. Absolute risk difference minus 0.4%, p-value for non-inferiority equaling 0.013. Pedersen et al. conclude that accelerated dual marker rollout of AMI using a combination of pre-hospital copeptin and first in-hospital high-sensitivity troponin T reduces length of hospital stay without increasing the rate of 30-day major adverse cardiac events as compared to using a zero to three hour rollout strategy. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Goaris Arts, Niels van Goyen, and Cyril Camaro from the Radboud University Medical Center in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. The authors note that improvement of the diagnostic pathway of chest pain patients could reduce emergency department overcrowding. Efficiency can be improved in both the pre-hospital triage and the in-hospital evaluation, so we must pursue a combination approach, reducing the number of chest pain patients in hospital and reducing the time patients spend at the hospital. The recently introduced zero to one hour algorithm has permitted rapid rollout of AMI in hospital. The use of pre-hospital retrieved coponin in a minus one to zero hour strategy can further reduce the length of stay. Even a one-hour reduction, as shown in the Aromi study, can have massive implications on costs and availability of emergency care services simply by the sheer number of patients. Finally, rapid rollout of AMI outside the hospital is on the horizon, and the results of the Aromi study have certainly brought us closer. In one-third of patients with ACS, Thrombosis occurs despite an intact fibrous cap, or IFC, IFC ACS, plaque erosion. In a translational research article entitled Toll-like receptor 2, hyaluronin and neutrophils play a key role in plaque erosion, the Optico-ACS study. Denitza Medeva and colleagues from the Charité Universitätsmedizin Berlin in Germany remind us that the recent studies emphasize neutrophils as the immediate inflammatory response in this pathology, but that their exact molecular activation patterns are still poorly understood 
and may represent future therapeutic targets. 32 patients with IFC-ACS and matched patients with ACS with ruptured fibrous cap, or RFC, RFC-ACS, from the Optico-ACS study were included, and blood samples were collected from the local site of the culprit lesion and the systemic circulation. Neutrophil surface marker expression was quantified by flow cytometry. Neutrophil cytotoxicity towards endothelial cells was examined in an ex vivo co-culture assay. Secretion of active matrix metalloproteinase 9, or MMP9, by neutrophils were evaluated using zymography in supernatants and in plasma samples. Optical coherence tomography, or OCT embedded thrombi, were used in immunofluorescent analysis. Tolite receptor 2, or TLR2 expression, was higher on neutrophils from IFC-ACS than RFC-ACS patients. TLR2 stimulation increased the release of active MMP9 from local IFC-ACS-derived neutrophils, which also aggravated endothelial cell death independently of TLR2. Thrombi of IFC-ACS patients exhibited more hyaluronidase 2 with concomitant increase in local plasma levels of hyaluronic acid, a TLR2 ligand. The authors conclude by noting the current study provides first in-human evidence for distinct TLR2-mediated neutrophil activation in IFC-ACS, presumably triggered by elevated soluble hyaluronic acid. Together with disturbed flow conditions, neutrophil-released MMP9 might be promoting endothelial cell loss-triggered thrombosis and therefore providing a potential future target for a phenotypic-specific secondary therapeutic approach in IFC-ACS. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Gregory Franck and colleagues from the Université Paris-Cité and Université Sorbonne Paris-Nord in France. Frank concludes by noting that understanding the precise cascade of events leading to plaque erosion is imperative for identifying potential therapeutic targets. By describing a novel interaction between thrombus plaque composition and a specific innate immune response, the study by Lagerbauer et al. sheds new light on this possible cascade. By recognizing the unique characteristics of thrombi associated with plaque erosion, the study highlights the importance of future interventions tailored specifically for this subset of ACS patients. Continued research in this area holds the potential to improve the understanding, management and treatment of IFC-ACS, ultimately reducing the burden of this manifestation. As noted previously, RFC and erosion of IFC are the two predominant mechanisms causing ACS. In a translational research article entitled Culprit Plaque Morphology Determines Inflammatory Risk and Clinical Outcomes in Acute Coronary Syndrome, Theresa Gerhard from the Deutsches Herzzentrum de Charité in Berlin, Germany, notes that it is uncertain whether clinical outcomes are different following RFC-ACS versus IFC-ACS and whether this is affected by a specific inflammatory response. 
This analysis included 398 consecutive ACS patients, of whom 62% had RFC-ACS and 25% had IFC-ACS. The primary endpoint was a composite of cardiac death, recurrent ACS, hospitalization for unstable angina, and target vessel revascularization at two years, major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACE. Inflammatory profiling was performed at baseline and after 90 days. Patients with IFC-ACS had lower rates of MACE than those with RFC-ACS. 14.3% versus 26.7% P equaling 0.02. In 368 plex proteomic analyses, patients with IFC-ACS showed lower inflammatory proteome expression compared with those with RFC-ACS, including interleukin-6 and proteins associated with the response to interleukin-1-beta. Circulating plasma levels of interleukin-1-beta decreased from baseline to three months following IFC-ACS, P being less than 0.001, while they remained stable following RFC-ACS, P equaling 0.25. Interleukin-6 levels decreased in patients with RFC-ACS free from MACE, P equaling 0.01, but persisted high in those with MACE. The authors point out that this study demonstrates a distinct inflammatory response and a lower risk of MACE plus following IFC-ACS. These findings advance our understanding of inflammatory cascades associated with different mechanisms of plaque disruption and provide hypothesis-generating data for personalised anti-inflammatory therapeutic allocation to ACS patients, a strategy that merits evaluation in future clinical trials. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Stephen Nissen from the Cleveland Clinic Coordinating Center for Clinical Research in the USA. The authors note that the current study represents an extraordinary effort and a valuable preliminary study of plaque morphology in AMI. However, cautious and tempered interpretation is required. The current study is most useful as a hypothesis-generating scientific study of plaque morphology and inflammatory markers in ACS, but it does not provide a reliable roadmap to guide treatment of patients after an acute event. Further observational studies should compare inflammatory biomarkers and the frequency of hard MACE events in patients with differing plaque morphologies matched for similar characteristics, including infarct size. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.